right. You may want to fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Not yet, though. You've got to stand in honor of God's word. All right, because our technology is down, we're going to have to go off of this sheet. So, uh, I mean, you could do it right from the Bible, but I have a New American Standard. This is an NIV, so I'm going to use the sheet um, so that you're not confused. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Let's pray. Lord, you are doing something wonderful in our day. And I pray that we would be part of it. I pray that everyone here, everyone here, everyone online that is listening, that we would be part of it. For that to happen, God, we need to see you and we need to hear you. Hide me behind this cross, God. Hide me behind your cross and give us ears and hearts to hear and respond to what you're saying and doing right here among us in this day. Lord, we love you. We'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. So we are starting a series. This is, this is week one in the book of Acts. The name of the series is The Holy Spirit and You. This week's message is called Preparing for the Spirit. Now, whenever you're going to study a book of the Bible, you want to start out by grasping the original context, the who, when, and why this book was originally written. So first is the who. The who that wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke is Luke. Even though both are anonymous, he never says he is the author. That is the testimony of church history. Um, Luke is the, Paul calls him the beloved physician. In 
he was one of Paul's traveling companions halfway through the book of Acts. It goes from they to we. And so we know it's one of Paul's traveling companions that wrote the book of Acts. He says in Acts, um, I've written a former book, and that book is the book of Luke. In fact, and you find the ancient documents, they're together. Luke and Acts are together. So Luke is the guy that wrote it. He's not an eyewitness himself of Jesus. He's an eyewitness of Paul's ministry, but not Jesus's ministry. But he's the one that writes the book of Acts. Then you have the question, when was the book of Luke written? Most scholars believe, did I say Luke? Acts. When was Acts written? Most scholars believe it was in 62 AD, and here's why. Acts ends very abruptly. Paul is in a Roman prison. It's his first imprisonment. He's waiting for his trial. And it, all of a sudden, it it's just ends. This is where Paul is. This is where the story ends. If there was more to the story, uh, you, you just have the feeling more would be told. But this is the story up to this point. And that brings us to why. Why was Acts written? The answer to this question, um, I read a lot of different people. The, great, the best answer I've heard is a guy named David Pawson. And here's what he believes, and I'll tell you why he believes it. He believes that Luke and Acts were written to give a, a defense of Paul uh, before, the, the, before Rome that this guy named Theophilus, he believes, was either a, a judge or a, a lawyer in the legal community in charge of Paul's case. Um, so that's a whole uh, mouthful. Why, why does he believe this, and why do I think it's the best explanation? Um, first, I want to just read Luke 1, 1 to 4. Because it's, it's where we are introduced to Theophilus and Luke and Acts are together as one piece. Here's what he says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So we know Theophilus is a believer, and Luke is writing so that he knows for certain, which is why he gives the most detail, he gives all the dates that correspond with history, but he calls him most excellent Theophilus. That is a title. Luke uses that title two other times in, in the book of Acts. He calls um, Felix, who is a Roman procurator, a judge, he calls him the most, most excellent Felix. And then he calls Festus, who's also a Roman judge, who's a judge at Paul's trial, most excellent Festus. So this is a title in the legal community. Secondly, the whole idea of this is eyewitnesses. 
The whole idea, this is, this is law, this is, you, you, you can't have hearsay. You have to have, if you're going to do law, if you're going to represent your case, it needs to be the eyewitnesses, and that's what Luke has gone back to. One of the most convincing arguments David Pawson makes is, so you get the whole story from the beginning of Christianity, then you get the early church all the way to chapter 12. Paul gets converted in 9 and to 12. And then from 13 on, it's only about Paul. You don't hear about any of the other disciples, any of the other apostles, or how Christianity is spreading in the world. It's just Paul's story. And within that story are three trials of Paul. And they're told, they're told in their entirety. They're, it's the same material. He gives the same witness. But the, these trials are very important because it is about Paul's defense. And it is about Paul before Rome. David Pawson points out Luke's gospel is the most merciful towards Rome. Luke's gospel and all of Acts, it's not Rome's fault. All this stuff that happens is not Rome's fault. It's Jewish fault. And it's about something that is in the Jewish community. And, and it's, he's laying out the case for Paul. But much more than Paul. Luke is recognizing this is going to be the defense before Rome of Christianity itself. This is, this is the story for all of Rome. Jesus had said this. He said, you're going to be brought before kings. You're going to be brought before officials. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you what to say in those time, in that time. And of course, this is the second, there's a second author of Acts. And there's a second audience for the book of Acts. The second author is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave us Acts. He used Luke. I'm so grateful that he did. He gave us, he wanted us to, as Luke says, be certain about the things that we believe. He wanted us to know from eyewitnesses that this is true. This is not just a subjective experience you have, and so I'm a Christian, but somebody else might not be, and whatever, you know, what they believe is good for them. No, no, this is the truth. We've got it from eyewitnesses. Here's the second audience. And it, only the sovereignty of God could have done this. But Theophilus means loved by God. So the second audience is all of those loved by God. That means this is God's love letter to you. It's God's love letter to me. We are the beloved and the Holy Spirit wrote it not just for one person, but for all those that God loves. So that is point one. What is Acts? Here's point two. Be filled with the Spirit and be my witnesses. So Jesus tells them what this is going to look like. Here's what I need you guys to do. Go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm heartened by this. The disciples immediately ask, 
Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, most of the messianic promises are not yet fulfilled. They are, they are about the millennium. They're about the kingdom of God coming outwardly and the Messiah reigning on this earth. And there's all kinds of, and, and, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. That, remember what I said. Kingdom's not coming outwardly right now. It's not coming with signs to observe right now. It's coming in human hearts. Right now, it's the inward kingdom of God. Uh, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's going to come. That outward kingdom is going to come. But don't, don't worry about it. Don't get all caught up in it because the fa- you're not going to figure it out. The Father alone knows when these times and dates are. Here's your assignment. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. So what has the church done since that time? Tried to figure out the end times. Jesus told us not to. Anyway, whatever. Um, But I'm heartened by it. He says, here's what's going to happen, and they immediately make it something else. And then, again, Jesus says, you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit with power to be my witnesses witnesses and then he goes up from among them he disappears in the clouds and they are looking up in the clouds we don't know how long they're doing it they're trying to figure out where did he go and they're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do now and God has to send two angels to say listen why are you looking up into the sky go do what he told you he told you to go to Jerusalem go to Jerusalem go this is what he said go that heartens me because they're just like us aren't they I want you to do this. Okay, Lord. What about this? Hey, Lord, what, what, have, what have we, what have we, and God, what about over here? Uh, this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, right. We'll do that. <clears throat> um, I want you to think for a moment about the humility of waiting. We, uh, when we were on vacation, we watched, every night we watched an episode of The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. Um, it's video, it, it's, it's, it's amazing episodes made about the life of Jesus. You can see season one on YouTube. Uh, you can see it all if you get The Chosen app, but these are just amazing. These are absolutely amazing uh, about the life of Christ and about the, the disciples. And... Um, the reason why is because it's so real. These disciples become like real people. They're like, they've got, they came from jobs, they've got opinions, they've got personalities. And so all kinds of scenes are de- depicted with what it must have felt like to be a disciple. And so I, I remember one specific one where, where Jesus is, is ministering somewhere and they're all together and they're, they're talking around a fire and uh, James and John are just energized. They have got a plan to market the ministry and to what the next thing should do. And they're very excited about the plan they have. And Peter objects to it. And somebody says, let's take a vote. And how many are for and how many are against. And, and, and then Mary Magdalene speaks up and she says this. I'm not voting. Guys, Jesus is going to do whatever he wants to do. We don't, we, there is no vote. He told us to follow him. There's no vote. And they're like, mm, yeah, probably. So now here we have 
Jesus is gone. Surely it's finally their time to take over. It's their time to own this. And Jesus says, yeah, guys, guess what? Guess what? I love all of you guys. You guys are amazing. I'm not leaving any of you in charge. I, in fact, is I don't even want you to go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. I'm putting my church in charge of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. So here's your job. Wait for him. They all, they're all wanting to prove themselves. They all, they all fled when Jesus was crucified. They all, they all went the wrong way. They, they, they're ready. They, they're energized. They want to they show. And Jesus says, listen, I love your energy. We're not going to use any of that energy. I need you guys to relax. And I need you to go wait. Because this is going to look very, very different than you think it's going to look like. There's a tremendous humility in having to wait. During that waiting time, the, you know, how, what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? And they just have to die to every possible way that they think God's going to do it and how long they're going to wait and how are we going to know the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. It's a good thing that that humility of waiting broke down their expectations. Because guys, the way he came, they had never seen any of it before. In Acts 2, where, where the baptism comes, first, he comes with wind. It's a supernatural wind that they can feel. Even though they're indoors, there's a wind that blows through them. Then, there's fire appears that they see falling on each head. Then, they're all filled with wine, with, with the Holy Spirit wine that makes them feel like they're drunk. They are encountering the person of the Holy Spirit. And then all of them speak in tongues. None of the, any of these things had happened in all of Jesus' ministry. You can imagine that's like, are you kidding me? This is what it's going to look like? He broke every box that you could have put up. The result? In one generation, they changed the entire world. Humility. Guys, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I think God's been waiting for? I think he's been waiting for the American church to be done with itself. Are you guys almost done? You guys are, you guys are so energized for your marketing and your five-year plan and your 10-year plan and, and your cool coolness and your buildings and your little coffee shops. And you guys are, you guys are so busy and so active. Are you almost done? Because it's, it's time for me to do something. Honestly, honestly, I, I think it's sovereign that our technology doesn't work today. <laughs> honestly, they did it without technology. They did it without marketing. They did it without anything. When you read the book of Acts, if you just honestly read it from start to beginning, here's what will shock you. The supernatural, it's everywhere. God is doing things. God, is, God saves whole cities by healings, by different things that he does. It's stunning. God's waiting for us in America to get past ourselves and our cleverness and our programs and our, our stuff. He's waiting for us to wait. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses.
Two kinds of witnesses. Listen to Acts 1, 21 and 22. So Peter stands up. There's 120 there. Peter stands up in the middle of this prayer meeting. And he says, he lists the 11 uh, disciples that are remaining. And he says, we need to replace Judas. And then he gives the qualifications. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The eyewitnesses are absolutely critical. The main reason, purpose of the apostles is they are the carriers of the story. They are the ones that protect the story. That's why, that's why many of the early other gospels, the second century, were all rejected. Why? Because it wasn't eyewitnesses. These were the eyewitnesses. And of course, when they are appointed um, in Acts, there, is, there are no gospels. Nothing's written down. So they are the carriers. These 12, it has to be people that were there right from John the Baptist all the way through the resurrection that they will safeguard the value of what has happened among us. There is a distinction between the eyewitnesses that were actually there and other witnesses. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to talk just for a second about how these gospels were made. So Matthew was a disciple. He's an eyewitness. He tells his whole gospel from his perspective. Mark... The, the second century church, the second century fathers tells us, Mark was Peter's scribe. Peter, top apostle, right before he dies, he gives Mark. Then this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. John, John the beloved, John who was in the inner circle, John who leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper, John is the eyewitness that writes the book of John. And then finally, we have Luke. Luke's not an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness of Paul and Paul's ministry, but he's not an eyewitness. But Luke gives us a gift, guys. Luke goes to all the eyewitnesses. Luke goes and he interviews Mary and he interviews Elizabeth and he he interviews all the way through. Luke does his research carefully, he says. He knows Theophilus needs eyewitnesses. And so we get the most comprehensive story of Jesus from Luke as well as the book of Acts from Luke. Then there's these other witnesses. Luke, Luke and Paul are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're called to be witnesses, but they did not walk with Jesus in the flesh. And you and I are in that same category. This is what we are called to do. You're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, And then to be his witness. This is your primary purpose on earth. Pastor Tom, am I supposed to um, work there? Or am I supposed to work there? Or should I go into that career or go to that career? Uh, Pray about it. But I'll tell you what, wherever you go, your primary calling is to be a witness. To be filled with the Spirit and to take whatever platform, God, whatever job, to be a witness. Wherever family you're in, to be a witness. This is your primary identity. To be a witness for him. This is what we're supposed to be doing now. That's what we'll give an account for. Were we a witness? 
Not how much money you made, not how difficult your life was. Look, Pastor Tom, why is my life so difficult? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. You can be a witness through your difficulties. And Pastor Tom, why am I so blessed? Why is things so easy? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Are you using it to be a witness for him? Because this is your number one mandate. It's my number one mandate, is to be witnesses for him. Pastor Tom, I don't even get, what does that even mean, be witnesses? We're, now we're back to the court of law. Well, if we're witnesses, who's the lawyer? The Holy Spirit. He's called the counselor. What's the case? Who's, what case is he He's making a case to the human race about God's love for them, about their sinfulness, about Jesus dying for them, and about God's desire to have a relationship with them. Well, how's he making his case? He's got all kinds of witnesses. He's got the witness of creation. He's got the witness of their own sin that they can't overcome. He's got the witness of their own stuff. He's got Christians that come into their life and are witnesses. You don't ever have to have pressure on you that it's all on you for that person to get saved. No, you're just one of the witnesses. He brings witnesses into lives, one after another, after another, after another, after another. Once in a while, we, we have the privilege of, of closing the deal. The Holy Spirit leads people all the way to Christ sometimes. Even the language around the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world of sin and that they have not believed in me. That this, is, this is what's happening. God is making his case right now to the human race, and you and I, are witnesses. Witnesses of what? The resurrection. They are witnesses of the resurrection. The resurrection happens in history. It gives new hope for the whole world. So we testify about Christ's resurrection, but not just Christ's resurrection. We testify about our resurrection. We te- we've got a story. We've experienced the, the Holy Spirit. We've experienced salvation. So there's something to tell. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. If you were going to clap, it's just, it sh- you should have done it right away. It's over, I, and I accept that. <laughs> okay. So I, I need to, to tell you what happened this week. To understand what happened this week, i got to take you back a few years now. I was working on Gideon. And the story of Gideon and, and uh, God makes this army out of Gideon and it actually reduces the army of Israel from 32,000 to 300. And, and, they are, they, and Gideon's called to lead them to face this army of 135,000 Midianites. And Gideon is, is terrified and God says, uh, okay, um, if you're still scared, because God's already told him about four different ways that he's supposed to do this. And if you're still scared, go down to the Midianite camp and you're going to hear a dream and that will, that, will, that will encourage you. So he goes down to the Midianite camp and, and this guy, just as he gets there, this guy's telling his dream the night before. And here's the dream. He said, I, I saw a, a loaf of barley bread tumble into camp, hit our tents, and all of our tents fell over. Surely this is Gideon and his army. And Gideon goes back and says, come on guys, this is, this is it. This is, this is it. And the question, of course, is why was that dream so inspirational to Gideon? Why, why did this give him such confidence? Here's why. A loaf of barley bread 
It was the cheapest food they had in Israel. It was the most common thing. God didn't need him to be steak or lobster. He could just be this loaf of barley bread and... He didn't have to have some clever strategy. The loaf of barley bread tumbles into camp. It's just random. It's just boom, 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 and boom. And and God was saying, this isn't going to be about you, and this isn't going to be about your great strategy. This is going to be about me. All I need you to do is show up. This is going to be about me. And... uh, and, and so I was just really encouraged by this, and I'm meditating on this, and Alice and I were invited to a connect group. This is, like I said, years ago, and um, at the end of the meeting, they, the group said, we want to pray for you. And so they all got around us, and were laying hands on us, and one of the young moms had a vision, and she said, I see a minivan with wings. She says, I don't know what it means, but... I'll just give you this verse, Isaiah 40, 31, that, that he, it, you're going to mount up on eagle's wings. You're going to you know, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Just that idea of having wings and God being the breath behind you. And, and I, I didn't tell them this, but I knew exactly what it meant. I knew that if God needed a Cadillac, I couldn't do it. If he needed a limousine, I couldn't do it. But I can be a minivan. If he can give wings to a minivan, then I'm in. So here's what happens last week. In in 2020, God told me early on, I'm I'm going to make you into Gideon's army, which... This is the worst possible word that a pastor can hear. Because if he's going to make Gideon's army, it means people are going to be leaving your church. I mean, that might, it might sound cool to you. Like, yes, we're going to... No, it's not that cool. It means there's going to be less. But he said, I'm going to make you an army. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take what you've got, whoever's left, I'm going to make them into an army. And so I was thinking about this. Last week, and I'm thinking about this specifically about the the minivan that has wings, and uh, and Tuesday, April 27th, is the day I start working on putting this message together, and the morning reading in the one year Bible is Judges 7. It's the story of the dream. It's the story of of Gideon receiving this encouraging word, and. Uh, I'm already excited that this would be the reading for that day. And then I turn to my devotional, which uh, I, re- I read every morning. It's, it's out at the... we got an alarm going off somewhere. There it goes. Um, I, I read my devotional, and the reading in the devotional is... It's called A Minivan with Wings. Same day. Same day. It's me telling the story of how I got that. And I'm just, I'm stunned by this. So I, I'm just so excited. We come into morning prayer and I tell our, our, our staff how powerful this is. God is doing this thing and he's going to make us minivans with wings. And, uh, and, and so I go back that afternoon and I'm, I'm starting to work on my message. I'm like, I got to confirm this, that this really happened. So I I check the one-year Bible, April 27th. Yep, there it is. And then I go to my devotional on April 27th. And it's not a minivan with wings. 
I'm like, oh boy, I just told the staff that it was. And I know a lot of them read the devotional, which it might be why they were looking at me like, what? Anyway, so I'm like, okay, maybe I got the wrong 27th. So I go back to March. Nope. Go forward to May. Nope. Go to June 27th. There it is, a minivan with wings. So I had read June's devotional. So then I've got three options. Number one is, it was just early in the morning, and that's why I ended up reading the wrong reading. Number two, I'm just getting old. <laughs> I, I'm just getting old, and I just, whatever, I, I can't find things anymore. Or number three, that God sovereignly had me read the wrong devotional that morning. I choose number three. I, 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 choose, number, I choose number three. Why? The reason why the, the title of this series, guys, is The Holy Spirit in You, is... Uh, not only do you not have to be a Cadillac or a limousine, but God actually isn't going to use Cadillacs and limousines. In fact, the only reason why Peter could be used is because he realized, I'm not as great as I thought I was. Peter used to think he was the Cadillac. I'm the, I'm the best model. They will all deny you. I will die for you. Peter denies him three times. Peter is long past how great he is. Peter's just one of them. And in his mind, he's probably the worst of them. But it turns out that that's the plan. The plan isn't going to be great people. The plan is really normal people that a great God is going to pour out his spirit on. That is the plan. This is about you and the Holy Spirit changing the world. This is about us, regular people, and the Holy Spirit changing the world. Honestly, if this required, if this revival and awakening that God's bringing about in America, if it was dependent on us being better Christians than the Christians in the last generation or Christians, you know, 200 years ago, I would have no faith for revival. None. Why? I know us. I know us. We're not that great. I, I, I know me. I'm certainly not that great. I've, I've talked to you. I love you with all my heart. We're not that great. We're not that great of Christians. If this is about how, how much we pray and how much we fast and, and we just bring heaven down by our great godliness, no hope, no faith, none. But if this is about God saying, oh, that's not my plan. My plan is this. I'm just going to pour out more of my spirit. I'm going to pour out in my grace more than I've ever poured out before. And all, and all I need is people to sign up. If that's the plan, oh, I believe, guys. I believe. If this is about his goodness and not ours, I'm all in. Please do not disqualify yourself. Please do not say, I, well, I could see God using Pastor Tom or I could see God using this person or that person, but, but not me. Listen, you are the plan. It, the fact that you don't feel like you are actually qualifies you. It, it, it's going to take people that are not so full of themselves and their own spirituality. It's going to have to just, it's going to be normal people that are willing to sign up in their normalness for, before a great God. 
so we are waiting. Yesterday, they ran the Kentucky Derby. It's the most famous race of the Triple Crown. This morning, we are in our prayer meeting beforehand, and one of our young ladies who's on the worship team had a vision. And she said, I see us as a horse that is in the gate. And there's a number of responses that horse can have. One can be, I don't want to run. I want to stay here. This is safe. I've got borders around me. I've got a box. This is comfortable. This is safe. That's the wrong response. Or that horse can be so anxious and so excited that kids just be banging up against the walls and banging and banging and banging. And, and, and that could be our response. And God doesn't want that. Or that horse in perfect trust can trust that, that the, 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 the one that's going to shoot the gun. He's already got blinders on. He's just focused. He's ready. He's looking. And he's waiting. And she says, this is, this is what God wants. He wants us to be just filled with the Holy Spirit and waiting for his gun to go off and to trust that he'll get us where he needs us to go. And I'm like, hmm. That's the perfect picture. Please come tonight to worship and waiting. It's all about that. So here is the difficulty. Reading the Bible and doing Bible study is very safe. Why? Because it's about back then. It's about stuff that happened back then. And we can stay in control and just study this Bible and study what happened then. And we, we can learn from it and we can grow from it. But we don't have to be in the story by just going back and studying the story. What's terrifying about the Holy Spirit is that we have to, and this is part of waiting, we have to lay down our expectations of what God might do with us. We have to put, take down the boxes that we've made and said this far and no more. We have to say to God, whatever you want to do today through me, whatever you want to do. So in two weeks, next week, Pastor Joyce is going to be speaking for Mother's Day. I'm excited about that. In two weeks, we will do Acts 2, 1 through 4, and I will tell you my experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will also have a chance to be prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in two weeks. So there are two things that are true, and I want to just be very clear on them. If you have a question about either of these, you can, you can email me. We can talk about it. Number one, you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one. Here's two. You do need to be willing to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What? What? Well, let me explain. For you to say to Almighty God, 
I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be one of those tongues people. God, do whatever you want to do, but I don't want tongues. I don't, that's weird. I've heard stories about that. And so I don't want to speak in tongues. Here's what God's going to say to you. Okay. I will, I will honor your trust, but I won't fill you with the Holy Spirit. What? See, it's really important to God that you let him run his church. He doesn't do well when you tell him what he can and can't do and what you're willing to do. And if you're choosing to be a respectable Christian, listen, I will be a Christian so far, but only so far. I'm not speaking in tongues. Okay, you'll go without the filling of the Spirit. You'll do, do, do it on your own. Do your witness on your own. We'll see how far it gets you. You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit, but you have to be willing to speak in tongues. Why? This is the stigma that God has put on his power. Jesus said, this is Mark chapter 16, verse 17, that whoever believes in me, these signs are going to follow them. Number one, they're going to cast out demons. Every believer has authority over the devil. Amen? Amen. Okay, I I tricked you. Because number two is they'll speak with new tongues. (laughs) It's going, this is going to mark, this is going to be part of, of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, you can read it. All 120 were filled with the Spirit and all began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 10, they go, Peter goes to preach to the Gentiles and where he, while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all who are gathered. How did they know? How did they know? Peter sa- Luke says, the, the Jews that were with him, the circumcised believers, were astonished that the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues. When I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, guys, I was, I was like, it made such a radical change in my life that I am like, what, why is this a secret? Why are, why are we hiding this from Christians? And so I was like a bulldozer. I just like, I just track people down. Have, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And da, da, da. And I just caused trouble all over the UW campus. I'm not kidding you. It was bad. And, and I just, and it's amazing that God uses us in our ignorance and whatever, but um, he, he, here's the reality. Me trying to get you to do something doesn't work. It really, it just doesn't work. Jesus said, John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I've learned over the years. Part of this is thirsty. you got to be thirsty. I want you to consider these next two weeks. Are you thirsty? Are, are you tired of it being you? Are you tired of it being mainly you? Your Christianity mainly being what you're doing for God instead of what God's doing in and through you? Get thirsty for more. And I realize there's been so much damage with tongues and so many arguments and divided churches and, and, and bad experiences and people trying to make you do something, <laughs> trying to, crazy stuff has happened. Are you thirsty enough to press through all that and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, 
I've had some bad experiences, but God, whatever, if you want to fill me and you want to give me a prayer language, then I'm in. So I want you to take these next two weeks. I want you to study Acts. I want you to study um, the, the, the prayer language and, and, and think about these things. All right, I, I want the uh, worship team to come. We're going we're gonna to close today by having communion together. Could we stand together, please? The fire, the wind, and the wine was never repeated all the way through Acts. Only tongues was. I'm not saying God doesn't want to blow or or send fire or do any of those things. I'm just saying that's the testimony of, of the book of Acts. We're going to have communion together and... and uh, we ran out of communion, and so if you didn't get communion, we've got ushers coming down the aisle. Just raise your hand, and they'll get you the elements. There's some up in the balcony, too. So if you didn't get your little little cool cup, I'm not sure how cool it is, but whatever. The, the, if you didn't get one of these, just raise your hand. And um, If you're online, we're going to do communion about halfway through this song. So if you wouldn't mind running to get a cracker or whatever you have, and grape juice or whatever. So Paul says, when you take communion, before you do it, examine your heart. Make sure that you're honoring his sacrifice by making sure that you don't have anything against his body, that you aren't holding a grudge against somebody in the body of Christ and mad at them and angry with them. Um, Listen, we need to, before we take communion, you need to forgive people. You need to forgive whoever it is that's hurt you, whoever's offended you. And you don't need to do it by making excuses for them. Call it sin. Jesus only forgives sins. Call it sin. They sinned. I'm going to forgive them for Jesus' sake. I'm going to let go of my grudge. I'm going to let go of my hatred. I'm going to let go of my vendetta. Uh, I am going to forgive for Jesus' sake. They're going to have to earn my trust back, but that's, this isn't about trust. This is about forgiveness. Forgive if somebody has hurt you. And if there's something between you and God, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, listen, Holy Spirit's not here to condemn you. <laughs> he loves you. The reason why he's convicting you is he wants to forgive you. So call it what it is. Call it sin. Don't say, God, I was tired. I was hurting. God, I did that. You know why I did it. Listen, stop it. Just say, I sinned. Please forgive me. So let's pray as we examine our hearts. Lord, Would you get us ready for communion? Lord, you want to meet with us during communion. So, Father, we forgive any that have hurt us, any that has disappointed us, anybody that has betrayed us. Lord, we, we, for your sake, we say, Jesus, you have forgiven me. I, I forgive them. And, Lord, if there's something between me and you, a compromise that I've made, a a lie that I've told, a Whatever it is, God, would you please forgive me? Big and little, whatever it is, Lord, would you forgive me right now? I want, to, I want to meet with you as we take communion. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Let's eat together.
when the supper was ended, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The new agreement I'm making for mankind with God. And here's the agreement that I will pour my blood out for your sins so that you can be forgiven. That's the agreement. That's the covenant. And then he said, take and drink. Let's drink together. So the army is meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. One of the things that's really cool in The Chosen is every once in a while, they will look at each other and they will say this, can you believe we're part of this? They, they recognize we are in a sovereign time and here we are on the inside. Are you kidding me? What an honor and a privilege to be part of this. I just want to, I want to invite you. These are very special times. And it's amazing that people just like us are part of it. I want to I encourage you to either come physically tonight or to watch online. This is our time, guys. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Thank you for inviting us. We're not worthy to unstrap your sandals, but you've invited us to be carriers of your glory, carriers of your presence. You invited us to to lay our lives down, even as you laid your life down and say, I'm just about being a witness. If it goes good, I'm a witness. If it goes bad, I'm a witness. I'm, I'm your witness, Jesus. Holy Spirit, use me. Fill me and make me what you want me to be. And then, Lord, the great, the great challenge in America, of course, is to do something together. That this, what you were after was not just a person, but a community. And 120 were gathered and they were, they were united. And Lord, would you unite us? Would you unite us in 21st century America? Could we come together? Could we together experience you and be your witnesses, we pray. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Woohoo!